raise your hand if you do not have a study sheet. My lovely assistant, Cam, will get you one. Who doesn't have one? Dude, you're like, hey, how? I'm at prayer meeting. All right. Just to get the details out of the way, why don't you guys turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. All right, so those of you guys that are unaware, we've been looking at the will of God on Wednesday nights, seven specific wills in the Bible that God has called every believer um, to obey, to follow. They're a perfect recipe. If you want to have that life that's set apart, if you want to have that life that practically makes sense, makes a difference, brings God glory, these are the seven things that you want to apply to your life. Um, So last week we looked at the first one. It was to be repentant. There were two applications of that. One's at salvation, basically being repentant of yourself and giving your life over to Jesus Christ, and then that daily repentance when you sin, when you offend, going back to God and restoring that fellowship. Same thing, you know, the example that I use a lot of times is between a parent and their child. You know, even if I know that my son or my daughter has done something wrong, I still want them to come and make that right with me. And it's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. God's a genius in the pictures and the systems that he puts around us to help us understand otherwise complex issues. But that was repentance. So tonight we're going to look at sanctified. The third or the second, third week, second will is for us to be sanctified. And the key verse is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You guys, it's on your sheet, or we can look at it. You guys turn there. Uh, Verse 3 and 4 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. All right, so I got a definition on your sheet for sanctification. It's the act of making holy. Okay, the act of... Becoming more like God. The act of God's grace by which the affections of men are purified or alienated from sin and the world and exalted to a supreme love to God. So you're going this way, you've been sanctified. Your affairs, your affections, your decisions are now going towards God. And then your last sentence, the act of consecrating or of setting aside for a sacred purpose, consecration. And how do we basically simply define sanctified in this church? Set apart. It's a good biblical definition. Set apart to be different, to be set aside for a consecrated purpose. And I love what Pastor Stephen hit on was either last Sunday or the Sunday before um, when he was talking about we've been bought with a price. You know, who are we? This is going to be good. (laughs) He's just, Cam's being Cam. (laughs) Who are we to look at Jesus Christ and say, you have no right to tell my body what to do? You can't tell me what to do. When in all reality, Jesus Christ purchased your body. He owns your body the day you accepted salvation because of what he did up on the cross. You know, think of it like this. If, how many of you guys in here own a car? All right. Huh? Own or like... Oh, my gosh. Car <laughs> own. We're going to stick with own. Is there a car that you own? There you go. So your hand should be down. So for those of you that own a car, really own anything for that matter, but I just think of a car. You bought the car. You drove it home. You're pretty excited about it, right? You know, when I, when I got my first car, you know, I was in there wiping down the trim, making sure it smelled nice, vacuuming it out. Two weeks later, I was like, whatever. But, you know, that first day, I'm like, I wanted to really take care of it. What would happen if you bought the car and then the next day the person you bought it off of shows up to your door, they knock, and you're like, oh, hey, how you doing, so-and-so? I'm like, oh, good. And then they walk off your porch, they hop in the car, and they start driving it. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm just driving my car. Like, no, I bought that off of you. I own that now. How bizarre would that be? Somebody, you own that car. That car is yours. Whatever possession you have, you bought it off of somebody. It is no longer theirs. They allowed that choice. They said, yes, for this transaction, you can have it. We did the same thing with Jesus Christ. We said, okay, we will accept eternity. We will accept payment for our sins in exchange for everything we have. That's part of counting the cost. When you make that transaction with Jesus Christ, he has every right to jump into your heart and take those reins, to take control of you, to allow you to be set apart. You have no right to to go into his house and try and take your 
vessel try and take yourself and say, I know you bought this, but I, I'm, I'm going to take control of it for a little bit. He owns you now. And this world perverts that. And they, well, you shouldn't be anybody's servant. And they try and morph it into just a, a weird perverted view. There is no safer place to be than having Jesus Christ as your master. I was having this conversation with my daughter today. She got spanked and she was brokenhearted about it. And I'm talking to her and I'm like, do you trust me? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, then why, why is it grievous sometimes when I tell you to do things? Why, why do you fight it? I'm like, if you trust me, you, you will know that what I'm telling you is going to be for your good. Just allow it to happen. Trust me. Because I got news for you. I'm your dad and it's going to come to pass. And you're choosing the painful route. And it's the same thing with God. Just trust him. We trust him with our eternity, but a lot of times we have a hard time trusting him with the day-to-day practical decisions that we make. But I thought that really puts it into perspective. You know, you own something, you own it. You make the decisions of what happens to it. Jesus Christ owns you, and he calls us to be sanctified. Um, Can I get some readers just to kind of elaborate on this definition of sanctified? Carson, Exodus 13.2. Let's see. Uh, Jared, you going to be able to handle this? Exodus 19.10. Um, huh? Yes, one verse. Um, Sam, Leviticus 8.10-12. Uh, Kendall, Jeremiah 1.5. Alana, Acts 26.18. I'm sorry, Rachel, you get the next one. You know what? Rachel, you can go to John 14. We'll get there. It'll, it'll just be in a while. So just remind me when we get there. So you get that one. Everybody else, Second Chronicles 29. Everybody else, 2 Chronicles 29. Don't worry, Rachel. You'll have your moment to shine. I like made a moon shape right around her. Second Chron- it's on your sheet, 2 Chronicles chapter 29. And don't mind the cup of pee up here. We will get to that. It took my dog three three times to finally collect enough. You'll see it's imperative that it's pee, though. It won't work. All right, everybody there? All right, uh, let's start with, so like I said, these verses, they elaborate on sanctification a little bit. Carson, go ahead and read Exodus 13, too. Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, uh, it is mine. Okay, so sanctify, take what is God's and set it apart, set it aside, set it apart for God. Okay, it's that separation. 19.10, Jared. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Yep, so there's a washing associated with it, but it's associated with God's people. Separate them, set them apart. Leviticus 8.10-12, this is dealing with the tabernacle. Listen to these words. And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and sanctified them. And he sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all his vessels, both the laver and his foot, to sanctify them. And he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. So everything in that tabernacle, every purpose, every action that came out of it was sanctified. It was separate. It was different. That tabernacle being a picture of what God's trying to establish inside of you, inside of your heart. We're called to be separate. We're called to be sanctified. Set aside unto God. Set aside for a consecrated purpose. Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God has called everybody to be sanctified. And Jeremiah had a specific purpose and he fulfilled it. Who was someone that we looked at last week that had a specific purpose and just bombed it? Samson. God has that same desire for everybody. He wants us all to be set apart. He wants us all to look different than this world. All right, in Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. 
I love that because it connects faith and sanctification. You cannot be sanctified outside of faith. You cannot be sanctified on your own good deeds. You can't be sanctified by doing godly things in and of yourself. It has to be in an act of faith. It has to be connected with believing the scriptures, talking to God, and we'll get to that when we get to the catalyst section, but it, it has to do with you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's nothing you can do on your own. You're not going to fool God and you're not going to fool anybody, maybe for a season. All right, you guys are in Second Chronicles 29. Let's look at verse 3. So he, this is Hezekiah, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He came into a mess. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of, of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. You want to know how to sanctify yourself? You want to know how to be different? Get the filthiness out of your life. It has no place in your life. Get the filthiness out of your heart. Get the filthiness out of your mind. You can't look like God and look like the world at the same time. God wants no part of that. You try and serve God and the world at the same time, you're serving the world. God wants all of it or he wants none of it. But sanctify yourself. It requires you to actually go and do something. And like, it's, like Alana read in Acts 26, it's by faith. It's by faith. So I should have told you guys, hold your place in 1 Thessalonians 4, but go there. And if you got a little doohickey, tag, bookmark, whatever you got, place it in there because we're going to spend most of our time in there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So the title of this message tonight, The Sanctification Reaction. So we got this little, like I said, cup of pee up here. Give it the sniff test. You don't want that. No, it's not pee. It's not pee. All right, so you guys are the pee, all right? This is the world. So you have gotten saved. You are in the world. You see a little bit of a difference, right? A little bit. I mean, you got yellowish tint. It would be easier to see if you didn't color it yellow. It would be, wouldn't it? That's kind of the point. So you got you got the world on top and you got yourself on the bottom. You kind of you blend in a little bit, right? You, I mean, you can see a difference. You're saved. You got Jesus Christ inside you. There is something different about you, okay? We're going to look at how to make that difference even brighter, even draw that contrast between you and the world. That's what sanctification is, that setting apart, that looking different within the world. All right, so we'll get back to that. But the sanctification reaction. So point number one, evidence of a sanctified disciple. All right, so we're going to work through this. I love the progression that Paul lays out here in 1 Thessalonians. Each verse by verse, the evidence, the, uh, the showing of what, <clears throat> of what it looks like when you're sanctified. So we already looked at verses 3 and 4. We'll get to those again, but we're going to start in verse 1. So the evidence. So verse 1, furthermore, then we, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So verse number one, walking with God, your walk should please him. Your walk, your everyday walk, your conversation, what you do, it should be pleasing to the Lord. Everything you do should be pleasing to him. Flip over to just a couple pages over, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Probably don't have to turn a page. Nice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Ye are witnesses in God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we, have, we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Something I feel like I've been hitting every week, but it's that why does God, does God have a reason to keep you on this earth? Are you walking worthily of what he has saved you from? I mean, oh, I constantly, I'm one every day, I got to put it in perspective. You know, if you were, I, I heard somebody on the radio say, you know, say you were, you know, pronounced dead. And then all, the, some, all of a sudden something came back in, you got a heartbeat and it was a miracle. And nobody could explain it. You'd be shouting from the rooftops what happened to you. You'd be proclaiming that. There'd be no denying what happened and you'd be excited to. 
we've been saved from an eternal death. And a lot of times we don't even open our mouths within the hallways at school. We don't make decisions that will be evident. Our walk is not evident. Why a lot of times do we focus so much on the physical and we forget the spiritual? And that's why it's sanctified by faith. Your sanctification, how sanctified you look, how strong your evidence is, relies solely on your faith. It really, it all starts with your one-on-one time with your, with your Lord and Savior. But walking with God, your walk should please Him, and it starts with your one-on-one time, and it carries over into the rest of your life. Verse 2, 1 Thessalonians 4. <laughs> For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, knowing and obeying God's commandments. Especially within this church, you guys are without excuse. We are without excuse. We know what to do. And if we don't know what to do, if we don't know what something means, we know where to go find it. We know who to ask. We have so many resources, it's ridiculous, especially in this day and age with technology where it's at. I think of the apostles and the disciples. Man, if they, if they had these tools, how much stronger, how much more effective would they have been? We squander these opportunities a lot of times. We know a lot of times it's the obeying God's commandment. Rachel, you're up. Your time to shine. <laughs> John 14. Go ahead and read 15, and then it's a palindrome. Then you're going to go over to 15 and read verse 14. Okay. okay. I thought it was cool. <laughs> it's not a palindrome. Yes, it is. I'm not. Carson it's a simple palindrome. 14, 15, 15, 14. It's a word palindrome. Go ahead, Rachel. And then 1514. If you do, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's like what Jesus was telling Peter over and over and over. What were those commands that he said? And Peter was getting frustrated with it. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love Jesus, prove it, is basically what he's saying. I tell my kids that all the time. If you love me, obey me. Prove it. Talk is so cheap. We can say a lot of things. It's easy for us to pray and say the right things. It's a lot harder sometimes for it to actually be within our heart, and it's almost impossible to fake it. If you love Jesus Christ, do what he says. Obey his commandments. And that's something that will set you apart. Oh, man, will it set you apart because it requires you to do things that people aren't going to find popular, and it's going to require you to say no to things that people are like, are you kidding me? I've shared it from up here before. Alcohol was the thing that God used to protect me, not by consuming it, but <laughs> he used my refusal to consume it, and he protected me from an infinite amount of sins. There were things that I look back and I'm like, yeah, I would have done those sins more on, more on, more on, more on. But for some reason, God put a burning passion in my heart that I will not give in on that sin. And it kept me away from a lot of sins. It kept me away from a lot of girls. I remember I had one of my first girlfriends. She was, I was devastated when we broke up. I'm like in eighth grade. Yeah, I was. <laughs> why do you guys think I'm so passionate a lot of times with the, the turmoil that can come from eighth grade and freshman relationships? Well, that's why. But we get into freshman year and, and we're starting to get back together again. Again, a freshman, what does that even look like? But whatever. And I, and I found out she was starting to drink. I'm like, Oh, I can't do that. And I, I'm like, I was in love with this girl. Infatuated is a better word. But I would not budge on that. And I remember in the moment, I'm like, Bobby, what the heck are you doing? I'm like, she's a pretty girl. She's fun. You guys get along. But God would not let me move on that. And I'm telling you, if I would have, if I would have compromised on alcohol in that moment, again, I say that about a lot of decisions and how God was protecting me. But I'm like, I would, not, I would have never come to this church ever. Because I would have never been connected with Brandy. I would have never been connected with Jay. I would have wanted nothing to do with this book. And my life would be a miserable wreck right now. Little decisions like that that you think God is using to punish you. Because I, I, it always, it's, it sanctified me away from certain people in high school. Because they didn't want to hang out with me. Because I wasn't cool. They wouldn't invite me to parties because I was the downer. Because I was the guy that, that would be sitting there just looking at everybody. And they'd feel like I was judging them. And really, it was I was just uncomfortable. I was invited to one party, and that was it. There wasn't even alcohol at it, but they just didn't want me around. And in the moment, I was like, man, what a curse. I want friends. I want to be able to hang out with people. And I get depressed. 
And that's when God would tell me, am I enough for you? What are some things that God is asking you to either obey him in and do or obey him in and say no to? For me, it was alcohol, hands down. And he protected me from a lot with that. Verse 3, chapter 4. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Abstain from fornication. Most guys in here should have it memorized, 1 Corinthians 6.18. That was one of the first verses I memorized in high school. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth, sin, committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. There's a special curse that comes along with fornication. God says, don't even touch it. And that's why it's the, the command that's paired there right with sanctification. You want to be sanctified, you cannot be sanctified if you're committing fornication. Because you're taking that very thing that God has purchased, your body, your being, who you are, and you're taking it right into a sinful, disgusting mess with somebody else. And you're not just affecting yourself, you're affecting somebody else. And the consequences of fornication are unlike any other sin. It's sinning against your own body. There's things the way that God designed your body that fornication will affect you like no other sin. And you will pay for fornication for the rest of your life. Anybody in here who's ever dabbled with it can attest to that. Any married person within this church can attest to that. The consequences for fornication will follow you the rest of your life. Sin is sin, but they each have their own cost. You want to be sanctified? You better not be dabbling with that. Stay away from it. Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So verse 4, you guys can guess the blank, possessing your vessel. Living honorably. Flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Boy, honor is a hard thing to find nowadays. Living honorably. Living a life that someone would be proud of. I tell my kids that all the time. Make me proud. Make me proud. You should be telling yourself the same thing. Make God proud in what you're doing. In public and in private. You know, this idea of sanctification, it's more than just public. You know, I was thinking about it today. Sanctification is also a private thing, too. You think of Job. When God was looking down, Job was sanctified not only in the public world, not only in the physical world, but in the spiritual realm. In front of Satan. In front of his demons. In front of his devils. Sometimes we can just want to be sanctified in the physical world and then our spiritual world, God, we're just an embarrassment to God. What a shame. Possessing your vessel, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 16. It says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. I mean, don't you want to be meat for the master's use? Don't you want to be like a, a tool in a good sense, not like an insulting sense, where God can look down from heaven and say, that's someone I can use. Man, I got this situation here going on. I got this transpiring in Jackson High School, at Northwest, at Maslin, at Lake, I don't know all this, at any of those schools, <laughs> whatever school you're in, don't you want him to be able to look down and say, yeah, that girl, that guy is meat for my use. I can place them in that situation. And orchestrating things in such a way that he can use you. I mean, who in here doesn't want to be a vessel unto honor? But it's a choice. It requires you to purge yourself from those things. To be sanctified. I want to be someone that God looks down on and he's like, yeah, I can use him. Doesn't matter the situation. He's going to choose to honor me. He's going to choose to do what's right. Yeah, the temptation's going to be great. But he's going to recognize that space of grace. He's going to recognize that way out. And he's going to bring me glory through it. Yeah, this is probably going to push his limits. And he's going to feel like he can't. 
But in that moment, he's going to remember the Bible. And he's going to know that I would not put him in a situation that he couldn't handle. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to trust me. He's going to have faith. And he's going to be looking, okay, God, where are you moving? Because I don't see it. And it's going to cause him to be more focused, more circumspect, more sober, looking, at, looking all around him to be more successful. You know, it's like weightlifting. It stretches you. It tears you up. But it makes you stronger. Being in those situations stretch, stretch you. You guys, I'm missing out on something, aren't I? Okay, good. I don't want to be part of it. <laughs> but don't you want to be a vessel meet for the master's use? Possess your vessel. Choose to have your vessel sanctified. Goes back to that car example. You've been bought for all of eternity. The least you can do is give God the 70, 80 years you have on this earth. Don't use it to serve yourself. Verse 5, back in 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which knew not God. So not desiring, longing for, or craving things God despises. Or concupiscence. Anybody in here know what concupiscence means? That $10 word? That vile word? I know you guys have heard it in here before. I got a definition. I cheated, so. Concupiscence. The coveting of carnal things are an irregular irregular appetite for worldly good inclination for unlawful enjoyments you have this burning desire for these unlawful acts for the, an irregular appetite for sin concupiscence it's a weird word who can flip over to Colossians you know we'll just go there Colossians 3 because we're going to spend a little bit of time there I was going to call on Rachel but that's alright you already had your two verses Colossians 3 Again, holding your mem- your members, holding your place in First Thessalonians four. So, if you want to live a sanctified life, you want to look different. You got to eliminate the desire, the longing for, the craving for things that God despises. The simplest example for that is, you know, think of Job when he made that statement about, um, you know, lust and thinking on a maid and all those things. Remember when he said, I made a covenant with mine eyes? Why then should I think upon a maid? Which I believe the KJV is the only book, only translation that has the word think. The rest say look or gaze or just something, something that has to do with the eyes. It has nothing to do with the eyes. When you eliminate the battle up in the thoughts, it won't become an action. It won't become an action when you eliminate the desire, the urge to do things that God despises. When you have an urge and a desire and you keep feeding it and feeding it and feeding it, there will come a point where you act upon it. You can't help it. Colossians 3 verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6. For which things sake the wrath... For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. He hates those things. And we read that list and we're like, yeah, fornication. No, I'm not doing that. Uncleanness, inordinate affection, concupiscence, evil, idolatry, and all these things. I'm not doing all those things. But when you look at the heart of fornication and you look at where it starts, we're all guilty to some degree. You look at uncleanness. I mean, how many of us who stand before God would have the same perspective as Isaiah when he stands before me, sees God in all his perfection and he says, I am undone. We are all unclean. We are filthy rags on our best day. We're all sinful creatures. We need to be honest and understand that we are all capable of these things. God doesn't want us to fulfill those things. That's why he says, don't even have a desire for them. They seem pleasurable. It's like fornication. It just seems to be the topic of the night. You know, why, why do we want to fornicate? Why is sex before marriage such a hot topic? Makes you feel good, doesn't it? I mean, why else? And it's like, for what, a couple minutes? You, you get this feeling, and then it affects you and basically ruins that for the rest of your life. We have that desire, and sometimes we can convince ourselves that that desire is okay. That's how God made us. And we blur the lines of, Having the desire and understanding what it is and then thinking on that desire and entertaining those thoughts. 
There's a huge difference. As guys, we understand God has made us as physical, visual people. Understand that and then build the walls. Don't allow yourself to dwell and have that desire. Save it for marriage. But all those sins, we understand that our bodies, we're going to have those temptations. We're going to have the desire to fulfill whatever sin it is. The longer you desire it, the longer you think on it, it will become one of those things. I've said this before. A murderer didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to go out and start killing people. Rapists didn't wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to go out and just start raping people. It was a process. It was a slow fade of thoughts that weren't brought down, that weren't cast down, that they were fed and fed and fed. You want to live a sanctified life, a lot of it, it starts up in your mind. All right? Hold your place in Colossians and then flip back over to 1 Thessalonians 4. It's like three pages you got to pinch. Verse 6. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Not taking advantage of each other, defrauding in any matter. That can be a big one for people. Trying to see what you can get out of a situation. Flip back to Colossians 3. We're going to look at 9 and 13. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And then verse 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Gosh, even people within the church, you guys should be the most forgiving people within people in this ministry. But it can be very hard because you know what it requires you to do? To take your pride and set it aside. And we're going to hit another point too, but out of everybody in this world, you ought to treat people in this room, the people in this building, with the utmost forgiveness, with the utmost love. Not taking advantage of people. Seeing how you can give to people. Esteeming others better than yourself. But America, this world, has trained us to be selfish, selfish, selfish. Looking out for yourself. Not trusting anybody. You can trust people in this building. And if you can't, you need to have a conversation with that person. You ought to be able to trust people in here. But you will be sanctified. You will look completely different if you're in your school system and you say, you know what, I'm sorry. Or somebody wrongs you just horribly. And you have a forgiving heart towards them. That is not natural in this world. It is not normal. It's grudges. It's bitterness. It's anger. I've affected more people at my workplace when they've done something wrong to me and then they've come back to me and they've, they've apologized and I've already forgiven them. I've already given away. I've been like, yeah, we're good. I get it. I understand. I, I don't take it personally. Relationships with my coworkers have gotten so deep because of my forgiving heart towards them. And I'm not perfect at this. There's people, there's somebody right now at work that I just want to wring his neck and I'm actually changing my shift next week so that I can work alongside of him because of the utter hell he's creating for one of my, one of my employees. So I, I battle it too. And I got to pray going into it that I'm going to have a forgiving heart. How's your forgiving heart? There shouldn't be a quarrel amongst us within this ministry. Work it out. Be men, be women. Be godly. Be sanctified. Don't take advantage of each other. Don't look for what you can get out of a situation. Look for how you can help somebody in a situation. Look how you can serve somebody in a situation. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not the man, but God, who hath also given us unto his Holy Spirit. Man, verse 8 helps me. When you're getting persecuted, when you're getting ragged on for serving the Lord, for choosing obedience over disobedience, they don't hate you. They're coming against Jesus Christ. And it's not like in that situation, I'm like, good, they, they can't stand Jesus Christ. I was afraid they don't like me. It's not that. It's that I know I'm not in this alone. I know that Jesus Christ is right there with me and he's feeling the persecution with me. I know that I'm not alone in what I'm feeling. But again, that goes back to sanctification by faith got to have a real thriving relationship with Jesus Christ to be able to think like that in the moment. Again, that's not a natural feeling. That comes from a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not going to turn there, but 1 Peter 1.16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
God said, man, I'm going to drink that. I keep going to grab that. God sets the standard pretty high, and he does it on purpose to remind you that you cannot do it on your own. You know, I constantly am am telling my kids, you need help with this. You need Jesus Christ to help you with this. Trying to paint that picture that they cannot do this on their own. And that message, even though they're six and four, is something that they need to hear the rest of their life. I need to hear it every day. I'm one who tries to do things on my own every single day. Being holy, verses seven and eight, as he is holy. It can be very, very difficult, but it requires you to lean on Jesus Christ even more. But you choose holiness in a world of uncleanness, in a world of just utter darkness, you will stick out like a sore thumb. Doesn't look like it now in this cup of pee, but you wait and see. That was a rhyme. That was good. All right, verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Simply put, love God's people more. Flip over to Galatians 6.10. Love how it said here. Love God's people more. Which might seem kind of, I don't know, racist isn't the word. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I know. No, that's not it. Uh, preferential. Preferential. Yeah, whoever said that, thank you. That was me. No, you're welcome. It was like, thank you, Rick. I knew it was Rick. I could tell his voice. It might seem preferential, but listen to this. Verse 10. Galatians 6. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You know, we often can treat people that we're closest with the worst. You know, I was sharing that today at work. I have an IND moment, inclusion and diversity, where I have to share something inclusive. And I'm like, well, this is great. I'm using this to witness over and over and over. So I was talking about mortality and death and how I was been listening to the 9-11 documentaries um, and watching, man, there's some impactful ones out there. But one of them has the voicemails of people on the planes as they're going into the Twin Towers and just the, the, the crackling in the voice, the sheer, you had, you had two different types of voicemails. You had one that they were just totally broken, like, oh no, honey, I'm, no, you know, and like just totally distraught telling them to tell their kids that they love them, all these things that they just couldn't get out all in one voicemail. And I'm like, man, my heart just breaks. And then you have others that there's just, there's a peace. They're like, honey, I just, I just want you to know, you know, I'm on that flight, you know, that's, I'm on a flight and it's been taken over. You know, I love you. I'll see you, blah, 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 blah. But two moments and you have the ones that are freaking out. And, and what I shared was, you know, don't live with any regrets of how you treat people. But we typically take advantage of the people we're closest with. If I could have you in your head right now list the five people that you treat the worst, guarantee two of those people are going to be your parents. And if you have siblings, they're probably going to make your top five. They just do. Because you're around them all the time. You take their love for granted. And God knows that. We take each other in here for granted. We just do. And I, and I can sometimes. And then, you know, I'll show up and I'll know that so-and-so is going to be here tonight. And, I, and I'll take them for granted. And you know what it does? It'll cause me not to reach out to them. It'll cause me not to call them. It'll cause me not to pray for them. And shame on me for that. But God calls that out. He says, you know what? Let us do good on all men, but you really need to focus on the people of the household of faith. You really need to focus on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I've told you, when we come together, man, it's like a refreshing. It's a perspective shift. It's a reminder that we're not alone in this. We need each other. Same thing in your homes. I don't know why we do. We just, we, we take our love for granted. It's the same thing here. We take serving together for granted. We take this ministry for granted. We ought to love God's people more. We ought to put way more effort into these relationships And I put so much stinking effort into relationships at high school that don't matter now, that we're all for myself. You ought to be investing in relationships here. 
These are people that are going to stick closer than a brother. These are people that are going to stick around for a long time. Are you somebody who's going to stick around for a long time? Because if not, then you making friends with people at school or making friends with people that aren't going to encourage you to live a sanctified life, then that's going to come pretty easy for you. Love God's people more. Cultivate these relationships within this ministry. And then the last point here, verses 11 and 12. I'm not there. 1 Thessalonians 4. In that ye study, verse 11, to be quiet to, and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. What a beautiful set of verses. Working hard, not drawing attention to yourself, taking care of your business, walking honestly, not living a lie among those without Christ. You know, I heard a a quote once, and it's absolutely true. If you never tell a lie, you never have to remember anything. Because your life is just honest. You don't have to remember a story. You don't have to remember what you told so-and-so. Because, man, there's nothing worse than getting caught in a lie. You're like, oh, crap. Now i got to remember what I said. And then you remember it a little off, and then you lie again, but your lie is different than your first lie, and then you're trying, and you, you can't keep up. That is a stressful way to live. That is a miserable way to live. Working hard. You know, I think in, we're not going to turn there just for time's sake, but in Romans 12, 11, it says not slothful in business. You know, how many of you guys in here have a job? A job, Carson. That means you work and you make, I'm just explaining it so you understand. You don't need to have a car at a job. You can have a scooter. All right, so if I asked your boss what kind of worker you were, what would they tell me? Don't answer. But what would they tell me? Would they say, yeah, she or he is one of my best workers. I can count on them for anything. They're on time. They work hard. They go above and beyond. They don't just do the bare minimum. I ask them to do something, and they do it the best. They set the standard. Or are you somebody that I would ask me to say, yeah, they show up. They, they do the bare minimum. It's a struggle. They don't want to do this. They have a bad attitude. They're late. Don't be slothful in business. You represent Jesus Christ, and you look just like the world. Your guys' age group has such a bad reputation right now for working. In the world we live in right now, it's feeding it because we have nobody that wants to work. We have no – man, set the standard. Go out and work. I don't care if it's for minimum wage right now. Set the standard that, look, it's not about the money. It's about going out and preparing yourself for the world. Be different. Don't be money hungry. Don't be time hungry of trying to do as little as you can to make as much as you can. Go out and who knows, you might win somebody to Jesus Christ by your work ethic. You know, in Romans 13, 13 through 14, it says, let us walk honestly. And you know, the word that I think of is integrity. Do you live a life of integrity? Do you live an honest life? Again, do you live a life that you'd have to lie about? If I asked one of you guys in here to diagram your day from 7 a.m. till now, how many of you guys would have to fudge the details a little bit? Because you wouldn't want to let somebody see that part of your life. Walk honestly. Don't draw attention to yourself. It's not about yourself. It's about who lives inside of you. God gave you the ability. He gave you the tools to be able to be successful in in what you're doing. Give credit where credit is due. But walk honestly. So the evidence. So I pray that you guys would study those things, those characteristics, those traits, and see how you're doing with those things. Because it's great evidence of how sanctified you are in your walk with Jesus Christ. All right, so back to the P. So we have this life. Yeah, man, that looks like really similar. You can see a line in the middle. So this is your carnal Christian, if you will, on the bottom. They got saved. You see the yellow tint of both. You can see the difference, but that's about it. I mean, looking at it from afar, you can see a little bit, but they're, they look just like the world. Very, very similar. Nobody wants to be like that. God calls us to be sanctified. He calls us to be different. So we're going to look at the catalysts. All right, we're not going to turn there. Um, Actually, we will. Let's go to John 17. 
We got enough time and then we'll wrap up. John, John 17. No, 17. Honestly. Yep. John 17. Verse 17. Again, I think this was a camp verse right, five or six years ago. Probably the easiest one you guys have ever had. Verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So the first catalyst, the first activator, the first agent that you need to add to your life to improve your sanctification, to look different, to stand out. It's the Word of God. All right, so we have our little catalyst. Yeah, it doesn't take much either. All right, so you add a little bit of the Word of God. All right, so you add the Word of God. It's there. Let's say you read it all week. All right, there you go. So there they are. So the Word of God's in there right now, okay? You still look you still look the same though, right? Oh, no. A little bit. You got a little bit of spark. Yeah. That's pretty cool. No, it's not. That's awesome actually. It's like a child. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. So you added the word of God. You're starting to stand out a little bit, okay? But there's still areas of your life that you look like the world. So you need another catalyst. You need something to continue, complete that circle. Remember this relationship, it's it's a it's a relationship. <laughs> it requires communication. It requires conversation. God talks to you through his word. In your last point, we talk to him through prayer. Flip over to Romans chapter 12. This will be the last verse we go to. You guys can stop holding your place in First Thessalonians. Romans 12. So the word's starting to work. You're starting to get a little bit of difference there. Romans 12, 12. Can I have someone read it? Sam. Nice and loud. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Rejoicing in hope. Your faith is real. You want to be different. All right? Patient in tribulation. Tribulations come. You're patient through them, and you are continuing instant in prayer. You're praying to God. He is with you all day, and you are praying without ceasing. I'll give you two drops for prayer. And then you know what you do? You can't just sit on it because all of it's just going to settle to the bottom. You're going to have all this head knowledge. And you, to the world, you're going to look just like the world. Dude. So you got to go out and you got to do something with it. Dude. Slushy. So you know what it does? There starts to become a difference between you and the world. You start looking different. You start, you start looking more like God. God's blue. I don't know if you knew that, but God's favorite color is blue. This world is pea yellow. But you look different. You notice how when you get saved, it's very easy to just blend right in with the world. There's something different. People can notice it about you and you try and hide it. But man, when you add the word of God and you start praying to God every single day, you will stick out like a sore thumb. When you do it right, when you rejoice in hope, when you're excited about these things, when you're sanctified through faith, when you believe the power of this book, you will look completely different. Obeying the word of God, your last point on there, is the key for living a life set apart for God. It absolutely is. Doing what it says, believing what it says. So you got, you got to ask yourself, we got some questions on the bottom. Is your life a testimony of being sanctified for God? Again, that's why I wanted you guys to think about your day. If you had to diagram your day, if you had to list out every thought and decision you made today, would it be something you'd be embarrassed about? Again, I know Pastor Thomas shared it from the pulpit. If you followed him with a clipboard every single day, none of us would probably show up to church. We're sinful creatures. But do you know why we'd probably still show up to church? Because of his heart towards sin, because of his repentant heart attitude, because he understands, yes, he's going to sin, 
But he's following that first will of God. He's going right back to the Father, and he's saying, God, I have no business acting like this. You've bought me. A lot of times we don't even get past the first will. You don't get repentance down, you're going to fail at sanctification. Another thing you need to ask yourself, a good barometer is, do you hate sin more each day? The more of God's word that you add to your life, the more praying that you do, the more communing that you do with God, the more his heart will become your heart. The more blue, not in the negative world sense, I should have gotten a different color, but whatever. The more like God you will become, the more you will start to think like him, the more you will start to hate what he hates and love what he loves. And are you drawing nigh to God each day to be purified and holy? Again, through his word and through praying. So you've got to ask yourself, do you want to be sanctified? Because it comes at a cost. You've got to sacrifice some relationships. You've got to sacrifice your reputation. You've got to sacrifice your desires. But good grief, what you're getting on the other side, it, it's, it's not a cost. God, we have been given the greatest bargain that has ever entered this world. Salvation through his son. What he is asking for pales in comparison to what he has given us. The problem is we don't always believe that. It's not always in the forefront of our mind. That's why the catalysts are reading his word and praying. You've got to have a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's got to be real. You've got to be communing with him daily. Or you're going to try these things. You know, I've approached this when I was in high school before of with a real heart, at, a right heart attitude of, God, I want to please you. I want to stand out. I want to be different. But I didn't want to put the work in in my alone time. And I would be successful for a month, two months, three months. And then there would be a sin that would come because the wiles of the devil, he knows the buttons to push in me. He knows the temptations to throw out in front of me. And I didn't stand a chance because I was not equipped. I was not ready. I did not have God's word inside of my heart. And I had no relationship to call out to him. I was saved. I knew I was saved, but man, I failed. And I made a mockery of God's name by some stupid decisions I made in high school. It wasn't until I got discipled, I believed this book and I allowed this book to change me from the inside out. Because again, if it's not going on on the inside, you're not going to be successful on the outside. So where are you at tonight? Is your life sanctified? Are you living a life that's pleasing unto God? Are you different to this world or are you like the first image of this cup? Are you the same color? Maybe a little different shade to this world, but blended in with a billion, six... Eight billion people in this world, you just look like everyone else. We're called to stand out. Yes, it's going to come at a cost right now. But keep your mind fixed on eternity. Keep an eternal perspective. People are going to think you're crazy for saying no to things, for saying yes to things. But man, think of the excitement that you'll bring God when he looks down and Satan's accusing you. Because the Bible says that Satan's accusing us every single day. I don't know if you know that. Don't give him something to accuse you about and say, see, I told you, they don't love you. They don't care about you. That's going on behind the scenes. Be someone that puts your, faith, your fist up to Satan and say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let you get victory in this part of my life. Say no to sin, say yes to God.